Somebody said this morning that uh, when they were looking at the picture on the magnet, it didn't seem like uh, just a mission starting. It was like a mission invasion that was starting. And I say amen to that. While they're taking their seats, um, last Sunday morning, uh, I invited you to take out one of those pink cards and to write an encouraging note to the, uh, to the AV team with all of the work that they've done recently in moving uh, all of the streaming, all of the video, all of the... Uh, all of the, uh, the, uh, the sound, all of that equipment, all, all of that wiring, all of that stuff moved it up into the balcony. And you responded in a great way. I mean, there was a, st- a stack of cards about, about an inch thick that went to Robert and the AV team. I uh, want you to do the same thing today with uh, uh, a, 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 a ministry that has not been well known to a lot of us. And that ministry is the, uh, the Mac Watch team. For about the last five years, we've had a dozen men or so who have uh, kind of walked around our, our parking lots, walked through our hallways, made sure that doors were secure. Uh, there are cameras all over our church plant, our church campus. Uh, they're up on top of our building looking around the building, and there's somebody that's always looking at those cameras. Uh, these fellas have, have uh, really dedicated themselves to, to walking and checking and securing and, and uh, communicating and these kinds of things over the last five years or so. And we want to, to recognize them as well and encourage them by, if you'll take one of those notes, put your name on the top of it, those pink cards, and write at the top of it uh, the Mac Watch Team and send them an encouraging note thanking them for the work that they do to, uh, to make sure that all of the things that need to happen during our assemblies and during our Bible classes are happening. And uh, we're going to make sure that they get all of that uh, this next week. We're going to ask you to stand right now as we have our scripture reading, and Mark Dye is going to read that to us. The scripture readings from Genesis 12, 1 through 4, and Matthew 28, 16 through 20. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is God's word. Please be seated. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we're grateful for these texts that Mark has read to us this morning. And we're grateful for the insights that they give us not only into your heart, but also into our life and the kinds of things that we are to be about. We are blessed to be your people, and we're blessed, Father, by your very presence. And we pray that as we think this morning about these texts, that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Last July, this year, just probably the week after the 4th of July, if I remember the article correctly, in Panama City, Florida, there at the beach, 
there, were, there was a family that was enjoying their vacation, and a couple of the boys had gotten out into the water. There was a riptide. They got out into the water, uh, got a little bit further than they should have, and there was uh, a moment when that riptide began to carry them farther and farther out into the water. Uh, their mother, being uh, an attentive mother, saw what was going on, and she went out into the water as well to try to rescue these two little boys, only to be start... Uh, to be captured and to start being carried off by that riptide as well. And finally, other members of the family saw it, and they started going out trying to bring these family members back, and they all began to be carried out, swept out to sea by this, this riptide. Where there were some people on the beach that began to recognize that this was a family that was in distress, and so they anchored themselves to the beach, and they formed a human chain that went from the beach all the way out into the, the ocean where these folks were out into the Gulf where these folks were. And there were about 80 of them that formed this human chain and got these kiddos and their family and brought them back into shore safely. The story I, I can illustrate a lot of things. Teamwork and things like that. But the story illustrates to me, an important truth that is often missed by believers. When, when God saves a person, and that person becomes a disciple of Jesus, and that person has God's Word in their mind and God's Spirit in them, and God is, is directing their lives and, and, and choosing their path for them, God never tells them to sit by idly. What God does is to tell them that they need to join and participate in sharing the gospel around the world. And if there is a, a word that describes this mission in the Bible, it's the word go. Over and over in the Bible, there's the story of people who are called by God to bless other people. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham and Sarah are told by God to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to go to this land that he was going to show them. And not only was he going to show them this land and, and to bless them, but he was going to make them a blessing to all the people in the world. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses, for a lot of years, 40 years, been living in the desert of Midian. And then one day he spies off in the distance a bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed. He goes up to look at it and, and to see what this spectacle is. And it's God meeting with him there at that burning bush. And what is it that God tells Moses to do? But to go to go back to Egypt and to help you know, re redeem his people out of their slavery and, and to take them to a promised land. In Isaiah chapter 6, it's, it's a moment in which Isaiah is a little bit troubled and he's pondering inside of the temple the fact that King Isaiah has died. And the, the history of the kings of Israel had been when you have a good one, the next one is going to be a bad one. And uh, Isaiah is there pondering all of this when he sees the beauty and the majesty and the glory of God in such a way that he's never seen it before. And he hears God say, who is it that is going to go and tell the people the message that they need to hear? And what is it that, that Isaiah says? Here am I, send me. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is ending his ministry on earth. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And what's the last thing he says to his disciples in Matthew's gospel? I want you to understand that I have all authority. I have all authority. My word is an authoritative word. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all things. And know that you're not going alone. But when you go, I'm going with you. 
In Acts chapter 8, you have Philip, who's this extraordinary deacon and and, and disciple of Jesus who has been dispersed out of the city of Jerusalem because of the persecution that broke out when Stephen was lynched. And one day, the, uh, the, the Spirit of God says to him, go to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And when he gets there, there's an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot who is a high official in the court of Candace. And this man hears the gospel and is baptized and takes the gospel back to his homeland because Philip went when the Spirit said, go. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, along with a lot of other people, are in the church in Antioch, and they're worshiping God, and they're fasting, and they're praying, and they're worshiping, and they're praying, and they're fasting. And what does the, 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 the Spirit say? The Spirit says, I want you to set aside Paul and Barnabas for me in order that they may go from this place to all of the cities that I'm going to show them, primarily in Asia Minor, to preach the gospel. It's go and go and go and go. And the word go describes the life of Jesus. Think about Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and how go describes the life of Christ, who was in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a, say it, cross. When Jesus leaves heaven, when God says go, where is Jesus headed? To a cross. And he goes from heaven to earth in order for that to be a reality. He goes from equality with God to becoming just like us. That's the incarnation. He goes from a splendor that if we were to see it today, we would shrivel up and die. It is so holy. He goes from that splendor to the garden variety, mundane earth. And it's to what purpose that God sends him. Well, Jesus says in Luke chapter 19 and verse 9 that he came in his own words to seek and to save the lost. Now today we call this kind of activity missions and it's done by missionaries like these three couples over here. The irony though, when we think about it theologically and biblically, the principles that govern the lives of missionaries are the same that govern the lives of everyone who comes to know God and is saved by Jesus of Nazareth. If you become a Christian, then you become a special kind of a human being who is called not only to look like the Christ and to embody the gospel and to be transformed, but to take that gospel to the world, beginning with your own neighborhood or your own workspace or your own cubicle, to that world around you. That's what Peter is talking about when he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, you're a chosen people. Unlike anyone else, you are chosen by God. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, God's special possession. And part of that is to feel great about the fact that God has chosen and, and embraced and made us holy and saved us, forgiven, all of those things. But there's also another part of that that sometimes we don't think about. Because we are those four things, we declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. So just two principles for, uh, that deal with missions for disciples. The first is disciples are blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. There's a fellow by the name of Pat Payaso 
who's currently running, or, or maybe the election is over by now, for an open seat on Boston's city council. He recently, recently got you know, this, this creative idea about how to campaign. The word palhaço in Portuguese means clown. In, in Spanish, palhaço means what? Clown. So he had this idea, why don't I dress up like a clown? And I'll campaign as a clown. There were videos that were taken, posted on social media. He even, with his rain- rainbow wig and crazy shoes and the red nose and the makeup, he, <laughs> he showed up at a polling place, scared everybody to death. They even called the cops, and a cop showed up, and uh, this uh, policeman walked up to Payaso, found out that, uh, you know, he's actually a guy running for city council there in Boston for a vacant seat. He's probably, you know, harmless, but he is a bit of a goof. Now, one of the most crippling myths that Christians, people like you and I, believe about ourselves is that sometimes we have to become something else in order to share the gospel. The one thing, church, that I'm telling you people cannot argue with is a changed life. You cannot argue with a life that has been changed by the gospel. At the heart of the gospel is not a change of eternal destination, even though there's that. At the heart of the gospel is a change of who we are. You've heard me talk uh, over the years about those old Coke machines and how in those old Coke machines they took coins and those coins, you would listen to it as you would put that quarter, the dime, or the nickel, whatever you had. You would put it in that Coke machine, and you would listen for it to go all the way down into the center, and you'd hear it jingle as it hit the money box. If it didn't, if it didn't go all the way into the heart of that machine, you couldn't access what was in the middle of that machine, which was the Coke. And so if it didn't go down all to the middle, what did you do? You kind of hit it with your elbow, you bumped it, you, you slammed it around a little bit until you could hear that change go all the way down into the center of that Coke machine. Then the Coke machine would light up and you'd be able to push a button and that Coke would come rolling out. That's what happens when the gospel gets all the way inside of you. It completely changes you when, when, when you see God in all of his beauty and know through the truths of the gospel that you are saved and that you are loved and that you are chosen and that God, when, when God looks at you, he sees joy, then you're no longer self-centered but oriented towards others and no longer greedy and materialistic but sacrificial and you're no longer bitter and resentful but loving. And one of the things that I can tell you from personal experience is that no one has joy like the one who knows the truth that can literally change the world. And then the second thing I would say is disciples transcend comfort zones. Everyone has a comfort zone. Believe it or not, I I have a comfort zone of my own. And a comfort zone is not an easy thing to move out of. But one of the things that happens when a person becomes a disciple of Jesus is that they become risk takers they're willing to take a risk which means that you cannot go public with your faith without sacrificing your comfort zone the inexpressible joy that the bible talks about that god fills our hearts with and 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 the peace that passes understanding because of his nearness are to be seen in you and that can come with a cost and that can come with a cost. Today, and really beginning on the 30th of December, we're participating in the planting of a new church in a city 
that less than a dozen people in this room have been to. And to do that, to heed the call of God to go, means giving up some things. It means giving up uh, things like familiarity with the world that you grew up in. It means uh, giving up the certainty of, of, of resources at times. It can mean giving up the presence of friends and, and feeling that absence for long periods of time. It, family and these kinds of things. But it also means for us too there are things that are given up. We get out of bed earlier every day to pray about this work. And if we go to bed that night and we realize that we haven't prayed for this team and the work and for God to be glorified in San Luis, we get out of bed and we go to that place where we get down on our knees and we pray for these families. And we dig a little deeper and we go without in order for this work to be resourced in such a way that people can call on the name of God and the knowledge of God fill their hearts. And when we have a sense of the presence of God as Father, we're going to have all we need. We're going to have all we need. And we, be, we, we become willing to lose things in order for others to become children of God. But it also comes with a lot of blessing as well. To, to do the work of a missionary is, is one of the most blessed things you can do. It, it's rough at times. And there are times when you feel homesick. And there are times when you wish that family was near. But there's such a blessing in the connection that you make, not only with God, who you see using you on a daily basis to share your faith and to share the gospel with others who do not know Him like we know Him. But it's also in creating this, this, this family of relationship where even though you may not have spoken their language growing up and you may not have learned anything about their culture until you actually live there, you begin to create relationships that are not just temporary in, in, the, in the sense of the years that you're there, but they become eternal. I asked uh, uh, Everett Heisen if he would write a note to us in closing. Uh, the question I put to him was this. I said, Everett, you and I, uh, when we have been together over the years, uh, when Ken and Etzko and the four kids were uh, overseas, I know that there were times, and you used the word ache, there were times when you ached uh, to be in the presence of, of Ken, your son, and Vicky felt the same way. But I also know that you are a, a, a soul winner par excellence. Would you write just a note to our congregation about the blessing of participating in what people that we love with all of our heart are doing for the kingdom of God in a foreign place? And uh, he, he wrote a note. I just want to read the end of it. He writes, There were times my longing for him, for Ken, was so intense, I ached from the top of my head to the recesses of my soul. Even though conflicted, often I am thankful for that experience. I'm proud of my son, of his and our combined family's sacrifice and, and those of missionaries the world over because there's nothing more important than winning souls to Jesus everywhere. Yes, even in a location like J Japan, 7,000 plus miles away. Preach the word in season and out of season. 
So we start praying on a daily basis. And some of us have already started that process of praying on a daily basis. The doors begin to open and, and the ground to be tilled in the hearts of those that live in San Luis as these folk get ready to take their family and to put down roots, to learn that culture, to learn the language, and to dedicate their lives to sharing in the language of the Brazilian people the words of the gospel. We're going to sing a song right now, a song of praise. And one of the things that we'd like to do at this this period of time is to ask those that that might have a prayer request or or they may want to give their life to Jesus by being baptized and repenting and confessing that he is Lord and receiving that spirit and dedicating themselves to living as Christ would have us live for the rest of their lives. If that describes you this morning, we want you to come forward and talk to the shepherds who are going to be down here at the front as we stand and praise God together.